Hey everybody, Pastor Jeremy here. We're back with faith and culture, looking at issues in our culture and how our faith can apply to those. But also, we want to make sure you know our staff and you know their story, because we have some incredible stories on our staff team, and it's just fun to know that a little bit and get to know them a little bit more. And so today we have with us Pastor Tim Neisler, and you're going to get to hear Tim's story a little bit and really dig in and really understand more about where he's from and how he got here and just, just everything that God has done in his life up to this point. I think it's uh, important that we all know and understand that. And so, Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. I'm super excited to be here. You know, anytime I get an opportunity to share my story uh, with the hopes that it might encourage somebody, you know, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in. That's awesome, man. So take us back to, you know, childhood, where you grew up, and kind of that part of it, your family life. Um, you know, leading up into, if you have siblings, all those things. Yeah, yeah. So um, I have an older brother who's 15 months older than I am. I have a big sister who's three years older, and I have a little sister that's 10 years younger. And so we grew up um, in a very dysfunctional family. Uh, we bounced around from L.A. to Chicago, where I was born, then back to L.A., and then down to San Diego, and I was probably in the second grade, first or second grade. What did your parents do? What was uh, my dad was a plumber, okay, um, but he was kind of shady. He was, uh, you know, he struggled with uh, drug addiction, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I didn't know I mean, at that young age. I didn't know what it was, but it was something because we were always moving, um, electricity getting shut off. I, he'd always mm-hmm. send my mom to get every form of government assistance that that was offered to anybody. Yeah you know, uh, cheese lines when we were little. He used to give out these blocks Blocks of cheese. cheese. I knew that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So The share uh, program here in San Diego. Yeah, I don't know what they called it back in the day, but uh, we were in that line uh, from food stamps, and it was just very, we were poor. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, you know, I was raised right here down, not far from here in Chula Vista. Mm -hmm. And I went to school there. uh, Where? uh, It was starting in in Vista Square Elementary. Then went to Rosebank Elementary, then to Castle Park. Oh, you were at Castle Park. Yeah, Castle Trojans. Park. Trojans, yeah. yep, yep, yep. Uh, and then I did the old continuation uh, oh, tour. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, Palomar Pirates. Woo, <laughs> woo. <laughs> yeah. If, if you know, you know. But uh, And then I went, uh, eventually, um, just dropped out of high school and, and eventually got my GED. Um, but Why did you, you drop out of high school? Well, because, let me back it up just a little bit. My dad was... A heroin addict, okay. and he would—he uh, was a thief, uh-huh. and he was a shoplifter, and he would go to all these different stores and steal stuff, and he would take my brother and I with him, mm. and so um, we lived that lifestyle for for a really long time. And Did even, you kind of know what was going on? How old? I, I started when I was probably about seven, and of course, I mean, you know, your dad is stealing, right? You you know that, but um, it, it was it was tough. Right, trying to process it all uh, because it was almost like there was a elephant in the room. Like we knew it was happening, but nobody ever really talked about it. Yeah. And um, it was crazy. He, I mean, he would, he would be a shoplifter, and, and once he got enough merchandise, you ready for this? We'd go to Tijuana, Mexico, and sell it uh, when the tourists, oh, yeah. uh, when it was different in Tijuana, right? And my dad knew everybody down there, and he would sell all this merchandise, make five, six hundred dollars, come back. And be broke. Hmm. And so at seven, eight, nine, ten, it, it didn't make sense to me. Um, it got to a point where it was just me kind of going with my dad on these 
runs, so to speak. And so um, it was just, it, it, it was tough. And I, well, to share this story, this is when I knew what was happening with it. So we were at this Denny's in San Isidro, and I was like eight years old. And I knew something was going on. I just, I wasn't old enough. I wasn't smart enough to know what it was. All I knew is that he'd have money. He wouldn't have money when we got home. He'd make one stop, and then he'd go in the bathroom for a while, and then he'd come back, and he would be like he was different. Mm -hmm. And at eight years old, I couldn't really piece it together. But we were at Denny's. He dropped me off. He said, Timmy, go get me some coffee. I'll be back in five minutes. So I get his coffee, two sugars, no cream. I'm waiting out there. And um, I see her car because her car stood out like a sore thumb. It was like one of those old station wagons with a crank window on the back. Oh, yeah. And you could just see it anywhere. So I saw her car down at the end of the parking lot. And so I just kind of ran down there, eight years old. I mean, I look at my son now. I wasn't much older than he is, right? And I run down there, and I go to hand him his coffee in the window of the front seat. And I look in, and he's got this needle oh, wow. in his arm. Yeah. And, and it was like I didn't know what it was, but he yells at me. He said, I told you to go wait over there, this and that. But as I walked over to where he told me to go wait for him, it kind of began making sense, just in a way an eight-year-old could, yeah. right? That's what's, that's what's happening with the money. That's what's happening to, to, to act different, to look different. That's what's happening to him as a result of him getting sick if he's sleeping in bed all day. It was just this whole dysfunction that was presented to be normal where's your mom my mom is there but she's She's super passive yeah she loved my dad right she wasn't really doing anything Mm -hmm. um but she also never left him right and 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 that lifestyle pretty much dominated our lives Hmm. for many years and and i never really had good solid friendships as a kid because i was always having to go with my dad my brother eventually moved didn't move away but he no longer went with my dad so um, it was mostly me, and, and, and it was almost as if, at times, he was training me to be a drug addict without actually doing the drugs, yeah. right? And, and um, it was just part of who we were. Mm-hmm. So, that, so you're about eight years old, you said, when that's mm-hmm. happening, and that continued on for how long from there? So after that moment, it was kind of like my dad and I's unspoken secret. He knew that I knew. He knew that I saw him. He knew that I was putting it together, uh, but never really talked about it. I didn't go and tell my mom. I didn't go and confide in my brother. Look, this is what I seen. It was none of that. But this went on uh, for a long time. And again, we were always moving. You know, even though my mom was on welfare, my dad was, you know, doing that. We were still broke all the time. It didn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. And um, just to move from place to place and school to school on a regular basis, it's tough on a family. It's tough on a kid, mm-hmm. right? And and. Uh, yeah. So you're, uh, you, you take, take me back to that San yeah. Ysidro, basically. Mm-hmm. You're in the, your dad's shooting up mm-hmm. and you got to get home. How did you end up getting home? Did well, you just n- sober up enough? Well, yeah, he, he just, yeah. Just driving. Crazy? Kind of, yeah. He was just low, uh, yeah, high. Loaded. He was high. Yeah. yeah. Able to drive you home. Yep. So <clears throat> what age did all this kind of fall apart in terms of, you know, your dad, your mom, what age are you? There really point? is so much, but I'll try for the sake of the story, just kind of uh, guide it along. But let's just, after experiencing that and what I've been through, I mean, I, I smoked marijuana when I was nine years old. That was the first time. At 14 years of age, I tried cocaine. And by the time I was 16, I was, I was addicted to methamphetamine, right? It was almost like this natural progression for me to get involved 
in that lifestyle. And I, I, I guarded it by saying, hey, you know what? As long as I'm not putting a needle in my arm, I'm good. Mm. Right? But it was this lifestyle. Yeah. Like once my dad was out of the picture, um, here's my passive mom who just loved us, loved him. And she couldn't control my brother and I. We were like 15 and 16. After being what we went through, yeah. I mean, we, we, we got issues, right? And so we, I began using and selling. And, and for the first time, you know, girls, people wanted to hang out with me, mm. right? And, and probably because I had money and drugs. But it was new to me because I was always with my dad. Yeah. So it was this new uh, season, so to speak. And I just I felt like I was born to do it. Right, and, and, and it just eventually began to grow. Right, The first time I ever got arrested was on Mother's Day of 1987 How or 1986. I think I was 15, 14 or 15. And what was the charge? I sold to an undercover, uh, an informant who was wearing a wire, um, and they came in on Mother's Day, took everybody to jail. But the only, uh, uh, I said something in the recording, Julia Police Department, if you're listening, you got me that time. Uh, uh, but th- this guy came in to buy some drugs, and I said, hey, you, you know, you can't come in. My mom doesn't know what's going on. So that saved uh, her. I didn't know that it was going to save her, but yeah. they let her go without pressing charges. So that was the first time I got arrested. But you would think, right, and this seems to be a pattern of my life, you would think that getting arrested getting your house raided, everything taken, and mom going to jail, you going to jail, you would think that it would open one's eyes to, hey, you know, maybe this isn't the life for me. Hmm. But, it, it, but for some reason, it was the opposite for me, and it took me on this path for the next, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years of, you know, being arrested 15 times, going to jail a couple times, my mom using meth um, with us. It was, it was all bad. It was heartbreaking to see... Um, her go through uh, her addiction till eventually took her life. Mm. My dad died from his addiction, mm. right? And I'm on this same path. My, my whole other family, my big sister, my big brother, we're all substance, we're, we're dealing with this substance abuse. And, you know, you talk about the drug war and everything that was going on in that time, and um, it was real, man, and it was just who we were. So... Um, after my mom had died, I'm, I'm never forget. How old are you at this point when your mom at, died? At, uh, when my mom died, I was 25. Okay. Okay. Uh, my mom had died. The, the police were looking for me because I was that guy who was supposed to check into the parole office, but I couldn't stay clean even one day a month. Uh, to to and so I'm running from the police, right? Not actually running because I'm yeah. kind of chubby, but you can't actually run. Uh, I mean, but I, they were looking for me. It's yeah. called absconding. I was absconding, and so I'm in this garage. Okay, and I'm gonna tell this story. It was it's pretty moving for me because. Sure, the cameras. Can you spell absconding for us? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> for the Lakeside campus, absconding. O b s c o u n d i n g. It's well done. Um. So I'm renting this garage. It's like a two-car garage, and it looked like a tornado went through this thing. I got uh, uh, wheels from a car lined up here. I got this huge speaker box over here. There's paraphernalia all over. It's, it's a tweaker haven. And so it's just who I was. It's the life I was living. And so I'm sitting in this garage, and I got all this paraphernalia and scales and drugs. I got a lot of drugs. And, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm contemplating... What's happening in my life? My mom had died as a result of drugs. I found out not long after my mom died, my dad died, right? I'm running from the law, 
by this time I have a daughter, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, wow, my dad, my mom, me, am I passing this on to my daughter? Mm-hmm. And I get this, I start weeping. I feel so hopeless and so sad that I'm, I'm, I'm literally crying. And through that, all of a sudden I feel, listen, I'm not going to get crazy charismatic, but I know what happened that day. And I yeah. feel this overwhelming sensation that I'm not alone in this room. And I just kind of freak out. And I feel like God is telling me, you know, someday you're going to live for me. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what it was, but it was real. Mm-hmm. And I was comforted for that moment. It wasn't some audible voice like you can hear it now, but it was so real that I stopped crying. And it's so real. I mean, it, it, it didn't stop the, the craziness from that point forward, mm-hmm. but something happened in that room that day. Yeah. And so long story short, I end up going back to prison. Um, and while I'm in prison, I get arrested for drugs in jail. I'm like this guy who thinks I can do whatever I want. And it just goes to show you just how deceived I was. So you were in and out of prison how many times and how often? Yeah, uh, I was stuff? arrested about 15 times. Um, and I ended up going to prison twice. And I was one of those guys who was, like, I would be selling drugs. I'd get arrested. And all the money that I made would go to a lawyer to lighten my sentence. Oh, yeah. Right? So I try to avoid it and do everything I can from going to rehabs and doing everything I could to stay out of prison. It worked for a little while, but it can only work for so long. How long would you stay when you did those two? Stints? So the first time I, I was sentenced to 16 months. Um, and then the second time I was sentenced to, uh, it was going to be three years, but when you finish this program early, I, w- I was out in about 17 months total. And considering what I was up against, it was, um, again, I paid money to a lawyer to minimize my sentence. Um, but this time when I got out, I was on this thing called an end number. And if you you know anything about the state of California prison system, the end number is what you didn't want because you were enrolled in this prison substance abuse program that nobody could ever get through, Mm. right? It was just so difficult because if you're in and out of prison and jail because you have an addiction, if you do the same thing while with the end number, um, you're just going to keep going back and back for a long, long Mm. time. And so I got out. Of course, I relapsed because I, my whole mentality uh, with my upbringing and the way that I was raised, it was like, okay, this is just part of the deal. This is the life that I was living, and this is a consequence to that life. It's just who I am. Yeah. Right? I didn't have problems in jail. I, I'm pretty easygoing. I mean, I, I get along with everybody, um, and I wasn't real threatening to anybody or trying to fight, but uh, I, I, I didn't have any problems in jail. I had money. I had you know, canteen, everything that you could need in there except my freedom because of my mindset was this is just my life. And so when I was getting out, you know, some people say, oh, well, you know, I'm really going to get my life together on this one. And it was the opposite for me. And I don't say that to, I I say that to let you know the state of mind that I was in, just the deception that I was living under. It was horrible. And because I'd get out and say, hey, you caught me last time. Good luck catching me again. So it was only a matter of time uh, before I started using again. And sure enough, um, started using again and started getting dirty tests and they're ready to take me back to prison. And so what would you uh, feel like in that moment? Like, uh, like you knew what prison was like, and then you knew, you know, basically you're going to get caught again. 
So what, I mean, or you just didn't think you would get caught again, maybe. Was that it's, inevitable. It's, it's inevitable. It's, it's inevitable. So they come, they're putting cuffs on you or whatever. What are you thinking in that moment? Like, ah, I got caught again? Or is it just like, all right, here we go. Routine? I mean, what, was there any kind of thought process there of? There is no thought process because when uh, I know for me, and I don't know about other drugs because I only really struggled with uh, my addiction was for, for methamphetamine, mm -hmm. right? And as far as I know, methamphetamine, it, my life could be a whirlwind falling apart around me. But the methamphetamine is whispering in my ear that everything's okay. Mm. You got it under control. Oh, wow. I could be up for two or three nights in my job doing this, but the, it's like I'm thinking I got everything under control. I think that I can beat the law. I, can, I think I'm smart enough or, or, or cautious enough to, to get through it. But deep down, it's inevitable. Yeah. If anybody's messing around at some point, you're going to get caught. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, and, and it's unfortunate uh, with the addiction. People, so many people are going through addictions, and if it's not jail, it's a, a loss of the family, right? A, a, a fam dysfunction or the family breaks up as a result of us holding on to that addiction, right? Uh, um, you mentioned in one of the sermons about that Lord of the Rings, that Gollum character, oh, my precious, and, yeah. and stuff like this. I was obsessed with this drug that killed my mom, right? It, it, it took her life. Hmm. And now my, my boys don't have a grandma. Now, now I, I can go on and on because I look in the rearview mirror of my life and I see misery and I see death and I see pain. And some of my family, they're, 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 they're not walking with the Lord. I'll just say that. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking because of what it's done to my family. It's like, I feel like I'm a survivor, right? And so I get out and, and, and they're getting ready to take me back again because of a dirty test. And of course, I think I'm slick. I check myself into a sober living home, mm. right? A place where, you know, you live, but you're, you know, go to meetings or whatever. And I call my parole officer, say, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble. I give a dirty test. Um, and I understand if you need to take me back, but I'll be at the sober living home on 40th Street, right? And it was just, it, yeah. it was a manipulation. I was manipulating my parole officer in hopes that he wouldn't take me back. Well, he didn't take me back, right? But something happened in that sober living home mm. to where after about three days, it was, to me, it was, and this might seem weird, but it was a miracle to me that I could be out of prison for three days and not be using. Mm. And so then I had a week and then I had a month, and then I had six months. And, and after about six months of going to meetings and, you know, being clean and, you know, uh, uh, something happened. Something began to break down in me emotionally. It was like the things that I went through as a kid, the way that I interacted with people, it all, it, it just wasn't right, mm -hmm. right? And now I didn't have that substance to kind of drown out that pain. Yeah. It was like I was faced with this pain that I ran from for so long. Mm. And I know now, I mean, it was God kind of knocking on the door of my heart, mm -hmm. right? I had somebody invite me to a, a church service on Easter, mm. and um, I was going to meetings with them, and sure, I'll, I'll go check it out. And so I'm there, and it's this, it scared me. It's this crazy, charismatic church, and it, they were doing backflips <laughs> and making noises and 45-minute songs with lots of drums, and I was like... 
man, if, if I'm, if I'm going to start going to church, uh, it, I don't think this is it because it scared me. I didn't know, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't know what, what that was all about. But as I left, somebody told me that they were having a church service at Qualcomm Stadium. And so I'm thinking in the back of my mind, if the Chargers and the Padres yeah. can play in a stadium, I can go check out a church service. And so I head down there, and um, I caught about maybe the service had started, and they're playing the last song, and it says, take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. I'll never forget that song, right? Because um, they're singing this song. The guy, this chubby guy comes out, and he begins speaking. And I felt like God was talking to me through his words. Mm. Even though I was in the back, um, and as he makes his invitation, as he starts saying stuff like, if you want your sins to be forgiven, I've heard it a thousand times in the past, right? That God talk, so to speak, mm-hmm. but never had it pierced my heart in the way that this guy was talking, mm-hmm. offering this forgiveness from God. Mm-hmm. And I close my eyes and I, I mean, I'm crying in, in, in my eyes, and he's saying this stuff, and if you you want a second chance at life, and, and all you do is just got to stand up, right? And and he wanted people to come down, and, and, you know, the bottom line is, as I'm sitting there in that moment, and I'm scared because I don't know what I'm experiencing, I'm feeling drawn to do this, I feel God almost tugging at my heart, right? Because although I believe it, I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And as I'm going through this, it's like, I, I don't want to take the next step. I know what I'm experiencing, but I don't want to take the next step. And then I, then God brings to remembrance some things that have happened in my life where he was there. Hmm. And I could try to explain it to you or anybody who's listening, but they wouldn't get it. It was for me. And so remember that time? And, I, and, and three things in a row. And the, the, it, Stuff I hadn't even thought of or remembered years that all of a sudden he bring, I believe God brought those yeah, to memory absolutely. for me. And I felt like he was saying, you know, I've been waiting your whole life for this moment, <laughs> right? And I couldn't do nothing but surrender mm-hmm. at that moment. Yeah. And so that was Easter of 2002. And I've been following God ever since. And, um, and it's been a journey. <clears throat> no question. I think... When you say that, I think there's a lot of people that would resonate with that, that God would bring to their mind these times in their life where it was him. It was him. He was there for them. It might have been them, uh, him protecting them from something. Uh, they miraculously, their life was spared. It could have been a number of things. Or like you mentioned earlier in the garage, there's just a sense that he's there. There's a peace mm-hmm. And it could be a, a number of those things. But I have people listening right now are going, yeah, I, I've had those moments. I know I have. I you know, can, and I, I would it. just challenge anybody who has experienced that is it definitely was God, mm-hmm. right? God speaks to us in a way that, that would, it's almost as like he's, he's been romancing us from the day we, we were born yep. for us um, to surrender to him. Mm-hmm. And he'll use different ways that speaks. He might speak to you in a different way that he speaks to me, mm-hmm. right? And I believed one of the times like you just mentioned it was one of those times my sister i don't know she was six months old i was 10 years old at the time she got spinal meningitis and she's in the chula vista hospital and the doctors came in and said you know we're not sure she's going to make it through the night you need to stay by her bed you need to stay put we're we're not sure what's going to happen and i run to the bathroom by myself and get on my knees and i pray wow yeah i'm 10 years old right and 
that was one of the things that God reminded me of. <laughs> and there was two other things that only God could have known, man. Yeah. And it was so real. That moment was so real. I couldn't make that up. Mm -hmm. It was so real that it changed the trajectory of the way that I would live the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. So from that point, you're sobering up. You're, mm -hmm. uh, you've accepted the Lord. And what, where does your journey take you from, from that moment? What's yeah. next? Yeah. So you are still in the sober living, or did you check out of there, and you start getting your life straight, get a job? Yep. What was it? Um, still in the sober living for a little while. Um, and as I start putting together this clean time, and, and I start, um, you know, I give my life to the Lord, and my life completely changes, right? I'm waking up early in the morning as I'm reading God's Word. I'm weeping. I'm feeling like God is just washing me with the water of his word. And it was just a, an intimate time um, for him through his word to tell me just how important I am mm -hmm. to him. Mm -hmm. And he's, all of us are, but he showed me through reading the word. But I'll tell you, I was a hot mess still. And um, so I remember going to church and I said, man, I just want to, I want to volunteer. I just want to serve. Right. And so I'll never forget Pastor Jim Hallahan, if you're listening, listen to this. So I'm going to a church, Mission Valley, uh, Christian Fellowship, whatever, and uh, I'm like four or five months into it, right? And after I got saved, I just kept going to church every Sunday, then started going to men's ministry, but I felt I was ready to serve. And so I go into Pastor Jim's office, and I say, Pastor Jim, I just want to serve. I'll do parking. I'll do ushering. I'll do whatever you need. I'll clean up whatever you need. I just want to give back. And I can't say I said it exactly like that, because all I know is I saw Pastor Jim's face, and his response was, hey, so, uh, yeah, may, we, we don't have any openings right now, but why don't you check back in about six months? And so being a pastor now, that tells me that I was a hot mess, yeah. right? I was smoking cigarettes. I, I mean, it, it still, my language was not saved. I mean, my soul was saved, but there were some other things uh, that God was... Yeah. Uh, uh, dealing Working with on. me. And so sure. um, I felt like I, don't, I couldn't believe why he wouldn't let me, da-da-da-da-da. Long story short, 2003, I go to the Billy Graham Festival. I came to Skyline Church for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association to train me on how to be a greeter. Yeah. First time I ever uh, was able to volunteer. And so I'm just greeting people. I got this Billy Graham red shirt on. I'm so happy, right? And then Billy Graham invites people to come down. Right, And I had, this whole year had been one of rejuvenation, one of redemption. One, I'm just on fire for the Lord. And as all these people begin walking down onto the field to get saved, I start weeping again. Right, I start weeping and, and, and I feel, again, it's not an audible voice. I just feel it. I feel God say to me, man, you have a part in this. You helped me with this. Like, God doesn't need my help, but he let me participate in greeting and seating people. And he said, oh, I got so much more for you to do. I felt that, yeah. right? And I, I'm weeping, and, I, and I'm, I'm almost arguing, like, God, how you know what I've done. You know what I've been through. You know where I come from. How could you say these words to me? And, and you know what he reminded me of? He reminded me of that day in the garage. He reminded me, he goes, listen, I, I don't, I felt him, I, I didn't have to understand it, I just had to believe it yeah. and believe in him. 
And so from that day forward, I mean, uh, going to church, I, I, it wasn't long before I was a youth pastor. Um, 2004 at a church in Chula Vista, I became a youth pastor. Um, just really, really fell in love with ministry. I mean, I, I'll never forget that youth group was awesome, and we grew it, and it was incredible. I didn't know much, right? But, um, uh, you know, we always say this. It's not so much about your ability sometimes. Sometimes it's about your availability. And God will use that with the right intentions and the right motives. He'll use that. Yep. And so, uh, you know, after that, I did everything I could in the church from care counseling, hospitality. Um, then in 2008, I actually did prison ministry for the first time. Uh, because I got out of prison in 1998, and you had to be out 10 years before you can go back in. Mm. So in 1998, started doing prison ministry, um, and then they kind of uh, kicked me out. Um, How, what was that like? So you, you're, as far as the, the prison ministry part of it, because you're thinking probably, you know, I'm, I'm going to go help these guys out. I could have used that help when I was in there or whatever. And you... How did you get involved with that? Well, again, I had wanted to do it earlier, but I had to wait that time. At that time, it was 10 years. You had to be out 10 years before you could even go back in. And so when I finally hit that mark, I, I did go back in because I have a story to tell. Mm -hmm. Because I was one of those hopeless guys sitting in those chairs just being okay with the life that I thought was given to me, the life that I thought was handed to me. It's like the cards you were dealt. You just have to deal with it, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and it's hopeless, and I just want, I just have this, I still have this desire to go in there and tell these guys that there is, in fact, a different way to live your life. And his name is Jesus, and he's real. And all we have to do is put our trust in him, right? And so that was my thing. And so I, it was incredible. I was a yard pastor at Donovan, um, in one of the yards, doing three services every Sunday. People were getting saved. It was awesome. But I was so new that... Um, I don't know, they took my clearance for some reason or another, and I'm not sure why, um, but all I knew is that... Uh, I just told you you can't come anymore? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, was? yeah, and they, they didn't tell me. How long were you me. doing at that point? I was probably doing it over a year. It's been tough. It was tough. It was because, you know, I'm still somewhat young in my walk, and I, man, I, I'm, I'm being effective mm -hmm. for the kingdom. And there's a number of things that it could have been, like there's this thing called over-familiarization where you... you oh, yeah. You kind of, you know, you can't tell the difference between the, the volunteers, church volunteers, and the inmates, the way that they <laughs> act, interact, because that is me. I, I speak their language. Yeah, I do that, yeah. And it's just me being me trying to win them for Christ, to yeah. let them know, to meet them right where they're at, to let them know that Jesus is real. And so it was devastating, but I went on a mission trip. And what happens in other countries is they don't, they don't do a background check. <laughs> they don't take away clearances. And... Uh, uh, God opened up this door um, on the mission field, and something came alive in me. You know, uh, you know, I've, I've been taking these Wesleyan history classes, yeah. and some people believe there's a second work of grace. I'm not saying I believe that. Mm -hmm. All I knew is that something came alive in me on the mission field. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of that a little bit. I'm not saying that's what happened, yeah, yeah. but it, something came alive, and man, it, it was incredible. And it sparked a passion inside of me to start going on mission trips. And I went to these Caribbean islands. I went to uh, Jamaica, um, Guatemala. I started going on. Every mission trip that I can go on, I would go on. And God would continuously use me in ways I never thought possible. Where was the first one? First one was Jamaica. Okay. 
Yep. In Jamaica, what'd you do when you were there? Uh, in Jamaica, I was a, uh, we had a makeshift hospital and I was the, uh, uh, on the prayer team. Okay. And so we had this whole system set up to where when people would go through to see the doctor, um, before they went to get their medication after the doctor, they would come to the prayer thing. And I was praying and just leading people to the Lord left and right. Because some of these people, they, they didn't know if they were going to make it. Yeah. Some of these people were really, really sick. And, it, you know, just the way it was set up, I mean, there were hundreds of people that came to the Lord uh, a day. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was pretty powerful. So you come back, and you're, you're going on these trips, you're doing all that, mm-hmm. and is this as a youth pastor or is this after being No, as a youth pastor ended in 2005, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. You're, you're doing this missions stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, when did you become a pastor? Was that right. part of that? or was that uh, Okay, so here, the way, uh, after going on these mission trips, I knew God was calling me to something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, all I knew is that, you know, the church I was at was not knocking on my door to hire me. Okay? And there was people that I was coaching and discipling in my small group who they were on the door knocking to hire other people, but not me. So I felt, okay, no problem. I'm just going to do what it takes. I'm going to start preparing because I feel God is calling me to this, right? It's only a matter of time. And so I started going to Bible college. I started to do a couple things like be on time. I got a, I got a habit of being on time early, right? Almost it's I don't know if it's good or if it's bad, but I'm like uh, very punctual. Um, and just doing what I say I'm going to do, mm-hmm. right? Uh, being responsible. And so uh, developing relationships with the pastors at this church I was at to where I, I led the prayer ministry. Um, I was a care counselor. I was a leader on hospitality in the prison ministry. It was like I was doing all these things mm-hmm. so I could fully embrace uh, the church life because I felt it was only a matter of time. Yeah. Um, and so I began preparing myself. Then in 2013, um, I got in front of the staff to pitch this in Bible college. Let me back it up. So in Bible college, there was this PowerPoint presentation class. It was like this Word, you know, uh, 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 Microsoft class. And one of the things was putting together a PowerPoint presentation. And so I put together a PowerPoint presentation for my missions organization, that I created, and I was only doing it for my assignment, but it was something that had been in my heart. Mm-hmm. And so it just, uh, it allowed me to put my vision and my dream in a PowerPoint presentation. Well, I got an A in the class, and then I presented it to the staff at the church I was at, and they said, we're all about this, let's make this a ministry. Wow. And so Prisoners of Hope was born at this church, and I started going on these mission trips, leading these trips. And so we did two or three a year, we went to the Philippines. We went to India. We went to Cape Town, South Africa. We went all these different places, and I would take anywhere from uh, 10 to 40 people on these trips. And I, God created me to mobilize these people and to make a huge difference uh, on these trips. Like you know, There are some mission trips you go, and they don't really do much. They hang out. They sing songs. They'll prayer walk. And I'm not saying that's not effective because it is. But when, I don't know, God has just given me a passion to change the quality of life for the people that we're serving, whether it's through medical or clean water or glasses or anything, construction, right? And, and, and so, man, it was incredible. Uh, and, to, and, and so in two, after I launched that um, and went on my first trip, I got hired at this church as the outreach pastor. Mm-hmm. 
And so it was natural for me to, it went in line with all the mission stuff I was wanting to do. Um, and it was just in that outreach space for, for a long time. And, and I love it. And I love local outreach. And I love global outreach. All this stuff that we can take Jesus outside of the four walls of church yeah. is my jam. And, and there's ways. I mean, uh, uh, the church is where it's at. There's no question. But to get someone in the church, sometimes we've got to go out there yeah. And introduce the, Jesus to them in a way that they haven't experienced before, mm-hmm. right? And so you call it prisoners of hope. Did you uh, target prisons in these foreign countries? Yes. So okay. in the beginning, um, I targeted prisons, and um, I've experienced some of the craziest prisons in the world, uh, where people are suffering and not eating, and and just uh, uh, abused. A lot of different things that happen. Um, but for a split moment in time, we're able to bring the light of Jesus in that. Um, and it's so, it it can really take a toll on you when you learn what people are experiencing. And so we had to, I had to open up other doors of opportunity on these trips to bring some joy back. Right, and so we started doing orphanages. We started doing other kind of outreaches, medical clinics, uh, building playgrounds. All those those kind of things bring a little bit of light into that dark situation. And so, Prisoners of Hope became a nonprofit, uh, and we go. We've been on like over uh, 20, 20 trips yeah. uh, with like twenty thousand decisions for Christ, mm-hmm. with sustainable follow up, and we we always. Um, partner with either churches or organizations on the ground because uh, I never want to just show up in a country thinking I have it all figured out. I want to help people who are already doing the ministry, just help them do what they do a little better Yeah, with the resources and whatnot. Exponential return that way. A hundred percent. Return on the investment. That's huge. Now, talk about where in that time period did you meet your wife? And how all that came about. Yeah, well, so I was at church one day, and this crazy Puerto Rican woman tackled me from behind and started <laughs> kissing me on the cheek. I'm just kidding. Um, Nobody believes that. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, no, there's a, it's a story, and, and the way she tells it is a little different than mine. Um, but I had, you know, one of the things that God really dealt with me on and I say this with uh, great gratitude. Uh, there are a couple things that God had to work on me, and women is one of those things. So I'm at church and during worship, and I see this glorious hair hmm. on the stage. And I hear this angelic voice belting out one of my favorite songs. And I, it was almost as if uh, she was taking us with her to worship God. It wasn't like sometimes, you know, you go to a church and it just feels like the people are singing at you, but it felt like she was singing to God and she allowed us to enter in with her to sing, which is beautiful. Yeah. And what does every awesome. good Christian guy do when he sees a beautiful woman, if you're single anyway? Look for the ring. Yeah. Well, she had a ring on her finger. And so it was kind of like, wah, wah, wah. Mm. That's fine because she was way out of my league anyway. <laughs> and so um, uh, one day we're in the office I'm upstairs in the office talking to the security team because you know me, I talk to everybody. But I got my head in the door of the security team and I turn around and there she is in all of her glory. She's just standing like five feet away from me and I just got nervous. 
Uh, and all I could do was, hi, I'm Tim. And she goes, hi, <laughs> my name is Jolie Beck. And all I could mutter from that was, what the heck is a Jolie Beck? <laughs> did you say that? I out? did say that to her. Oh, my. And it, her Puerto Rican started sizzling in, in her a little bit, started sizzling and uh, turned into a little friendly debate, right? Just banter mm. back and forth. And so um, I cut it short and walked away and did what every good Christian man would do because she did not have on a ring. And no. she said she only wore the ring to keep people away from oh, her. Oh, to keep people like you yes, away. Yes, yes. She's worshiping. Absolutely. The creepers. <laughs> so I stalked her on Facebook. And um, we had a couple of interactions along the way, and 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 um, like messaging on Facebook kind of thing, like hey, no, just seeing each song. other in passing. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Seeing each other in passing and say, hey, great job, or you know, but I, I was acting weird, right? Because she's, <laughs> I just thought she was very attractive, and I didn't know, you know, I just got nervous in front of her a little bit, sure. um, and so I just walk away from her because I didn't want to say something I'd regret later, and. Um, one day there was, this is going to be long, so you might want to edit it, but I'm just going to tell it. Anyway. Yeah. So Jolie Beck uh, was leading worship one day, and, and, you know, I'm sitting at this info desk at the church, and um, there's a lot of services throughout the day, so we're sitting down, and during one of the services, this guy comes up, and he has, he's just a, a weirdo, and he has Jolie Beck's CD in, in his hand. He goes, yes, I'm here. Um, uh, Jolie Beck is going to sign my CD. Um, <laughs> can you go get her, please? Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, gosh. And I was like, okay, let me just take care of this. And I go, why don't you just text her, bro? I mean, if you know her, text her. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't, I just, she's, I'm going to meet her here. And just, it was weird. It was, yeah. it was dead. So I knew where she was at. So I went back there and just said, hey, this guy's, and this guy's weird. I don't know if he's weird or what he says. You're supposed to sign it. She goes, no, I don't want to talk to that guy. He was freaking me out earlier. Um, I go, don't worry, I got you. So, dun, 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 dun. yeah, Tim to the rescue. Yeah, um, and so I talked to the guy. Says, yeah, she's going to be unavailable. You know, you, you might want to come back another day or reach out to her through email or something. But she's unavailable today. And so I had the safety team walk her to her car that night, just making sure that she was okay. And long story short, she thought I was part of the safety ministry. Right. And, and so I uh, added her on Facebook and uh, she sends me this thing about a situation with a guy or whatever, just talking. Right. And um, and I said, well, you I started giving her some advice. And she says, well, you don't really know my what's happened. You don't know my story. And being the strategic thinker I am, remembered she likes sushi because I saw that on her Facebook. <laughs> and I go, well, why don't we grab some sushi and talk about your story and my story, where you've been, where I've been. <laughs> and she, like, uh, freaked out a little bit. And uh, long story short, she agreed to it. And um, and it was cool. It took a while for us to finally meet up, but we did. Okay. And um, this gets a little funny, but so we start hanging out, right? And I'm a little bit older than her. I'm, you know, 12 years older than her. And I know where I'm at in my life, and I know what I want and what I don't want. And so after texting with her and after spending, you know, just about every day with her, I take her to this fine dining establishment called Pizzeria Luigi's on 25th, <laughs> two slices and a soda for $6. And I say, listen, hey, um, uh, I, I'm ready to take this to the next level. 
I'm already, you know, what, what do we got to do to take our relationship, uh, this relationship to the next level? And she goes, huh, huh, oh. and she starts freaking out. She goes, oh, I, I mean, if you thought her accent was thick, if, if you think her accent is thick, you should have heard her that night because she was like stumbling. She didn't know what to say. I, I guess I caught her off guard. Mm. Right. And she goes, I'm just not there yet. And, you know, uh, and I go, great. Thank you for being honest. At this point, I'm going to have to kind of back up. You know, I'm I'm already kind of there with this, and and I it's cool if you're not. I'm I don't want to be in a different place than you. Pressure, yeah. yeah, but we're going to have to end this. So, of course, she didn't like that. It just turned into this big cat and mouse thing for the next few days, <laughs> um, until one day, she showed up at this place I was at, and it was a surprise to both of us. And. Uh, we were inseparable from there. There's so much more in there, but I could talk forever about when we met. So you started dating officially? We started dating officially March 9th of 2015. Okay, and then you got married shortly after? Or uh, March 16th, 2014. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to be dating her a year. Uh, I think there's something really... Uh, something cool when you put God uh, I mean God gives us seasons for a reason he gives us four seasons and you know I wish I could have waited two years but I'm not getting any younger I just you you want to make sure um, that you can spend the rest of your life with this person and so I did that so it was about eight to, about a year and a half after we dated is when we finally got married mm -hmm. and uh, crazy thing is we were doing a Thanksgiving service in Donovan and um She's singing, and, and I'm standing in the back, and I just feel like, man, this is the woman I have to marry. And so it was Thanksgiving. Uh, after the service, we had some friends come by, and I asked her to marry me. But it was in that prison uh, wow. that I knew that I was supposed to ask her to marry me. And so you guys have two boys now. Yeah. Tell us about your boys. Yeah, so it wasn't long after we tied the knot that Julie Beck was pregnant, and... Um, yeah, it was incredible. and um, Two kids, biblical names. Biblical names, yes. Uh, we Love named uh, David after King David, and our prayer was that he would be a musician and you know, people would uh, be attracted to him for the cause of Christ. And so that was our prayer, um, and he's awesome. Some of you guys know he does. He's on the spectrum. He's been diagnosed with ASD, which means absolutely nothing to me, mm. uh, other than the fact that that's my boy. And he thinks a little more than the average kid does. And he uh, reads. A, he's a reader. He's, like, super smart. I mean, singing songs, writing. Mm. Um, it's just it, he fascinates me with the way that God made him. Yeah. Um, and he loves his dad. And then Joe, who is 18 months uh, younger. So, um, Joseph is awesome too, but he's awesome in different ways. He's like more like a, his dad, a bull in a China shop, you know, and, um, they're just, they are the joy of my life. And, and with my life and, and what I've been through and what God has allowed me to do, I think of my boys and I think of legacy. Mm -hmm. I think of, um, who are they going to become? Yeah. Right. And it's super important for me uh, to do the very best I can to raise them up in the ways of, of the Lord. Right. In our culture, everything that's happening, um, they need to have their foundation built on the rock. And um, they know scripture. 
they love church, you know, and I'm just, uh, you know, and sometimes I think about how old I am, right? Because I'm 52, right? And I got a, a four and a six-year-old, and I'm like, okay, uh, by the time they graduate, I'm going to 65. I'm going to be on Medicaid, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, they keep me young, and um, it, 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 they're just, uh, they're my why. I work hard. They're, they're uh, my everything. And you had mentioned earlier that you had a daughter. Yeah, and Cassandra. So, yeah, yeah. Cassandra is thirty-three years old. I had her when I was very young, seventeen. Um, she's local here in San Diego. She actually, I also have a granddaughter, uh, baby Finny. We call her Finny. Uh, she's two, two and some change. She's the most adorable creature alive. And um, daughter has a great job. She does well. Um, and we have a good relationship. And how did that relationship go? Like you, you have your baby, but mm-hmm. you're still in and out of jail, right? So, yeah. So <clears throat> I didn't start going uh, into jail. Um, she was five years old first time I went to prison. Wow. Okay. Were, were you guys together? Like as far On as and off. Okay. And so it's just kinda, that whole dysfunction yeah. that came along with it. Right. Hence the reason why I got issues with, I had issues with women in the past. Yeah. Just relationships. It just didn't mix well with substance abuse. Yeah. And so I was a knucklehead. And so it was on and off. Um, but I always try to be there for my daughter. Yeah. And in my mind, I was a good dad. But you're limited when you're on drugs. Yeah. Even though the drugs tell you the best dad in the world, but if I'm not working, just living this Disneyland dad life, what kind of example am I setting for her? Right? I wasn't. It's it's not what a man of God, what the way that God designed it. I wasn't doing that. Yeah. Um, but through it all, um, she's uh, awesome. And so I you kept her. in touch. A hundred percent. Years. Not, oh yeah. We like the this. only time we've ever been separated was when I was in jail. When okay. I get out, she's always been a part of my life. Oh, that's great. Always. Wow. Yeah. Uh, always been a part of my life, and I sacrificed uh, for her. And she was one of the reasons. She was one of the motivations um, for me to change. Yeah. Right. Because I think of that legacy thing. Mm-hmm. Right. What am I leaving? Right. And and part of me is like, man, if I would have only knew then what I know now how different things might be. And, you know, that's just, we play that what-if game, right? right? But the fact of the matter is she's a great mom. Uh, Cassandra's a great mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's got a great job. And we have a good relationship. That's awesome. I mean, you think about the decision you made way back when mm-hmm. about legacy, like you said. And I think that's something that people maybe don't realize because we're all selfish to a degree. And it's like sometimes we're so selfish, we're not thinking about how we affect other people. But God gave you clarity for a moment there to be really see that to see your mom die your dad die and you start to think wait a minute that's where i'm headed but yet i have an opportunity here to turn this thing around that's a powerful statement and a powerful reminder for people it's never over it, right. it really is never over like until you quit or give up it's like you can make a decision people can make a decision and say i'm going to change my life i'm going to do something different with my life i don't have to be stuck in those patterns I don't have to be stuck, because you said it earlier, just because that's what my dad did and that's the way my mom went, I don't have to be stuck that way. I can make a decision. And I think that's the biggest deception that the devil has on people, right? The fact that people think that they can't change. But really, it's about a series of good decisions that you place in front of you. It's like some people just give up. Hey, I'm never going to stop smoking cigarettes, so I try. 
it's 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 almost they they're defeated before they even can make a decision. Mm -hmm. But really, I know from my own life that it's really one decision at a time, right? And and, and you know we always talk about this the the power of God that you know. Uh, I think sometimes that power is misunderstood what it is. It's not meant to be some dog and pony show that a man from the stage has this power. The power that I believe the Bible talks about, the power of God, is the power to make those decisions to change our life, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and you know, I'm, I just started going back into the prison. We're hoping to launch a prison yeah. ministry here at Skyline Church. And if there were words... If there were sentences or a, a paragraph that I can verbalize to tell somebody to, to have that desire to change, I'd be saying that all the time. But really, the desire to change has to come from within. Mm -hmm. And once you have that desire to change, you have to begin to start making good decisions because it's not too hard. Mm -hmm. I'm living proof that with God's power, he will give you the ability to go like this to your addictions, to go like this to your old life, to erase that old life and begin to pour in a new life in Christ. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, right? Even, you know, uh, uh, being a dad and being a husband, it all comes with, it all comes with issues. We're, we're all going to deal with those things. But nothing can separate me from God's love and his calling on my life. And that's, I think, the, the you know, it's, it's free. This gift mm -hmm. that God gives us is free. And all he wanted from me was my heart and my loyalty, yeah. right? Because we, we, we already know that once you make this decision, you know, the devil is on my bumper yep. a lot, trying to throw this at me and that at me, things that just, it was weird the way that things were going down. And it's true for anybody who's trying to change their life devil doesn't want you in a real life-giving relationship with the God of this universe. That's right. He doesn't. And so these little things start to happen. But once you make that decision, it's like you talked about, it's making a decision to live, to choose to live a life for God, mm -hmm. right? You put yourself, you start going to church every week. You put yourself around some people who, who love Jesus and who care about you. And I'm telling you, things begin to change. They did for me. And that was over 20 years ago, mm -hmm. right? And God continues to put me in places and situations that sometimes I don't think I deserve because I know what I went through. Mm -hmm. I know the way I was raised. But, the, but God in the Bible says something different about me now, mm -hmm. right? Man can say whatever he wants, but I know who I am in Christ. And I might not be perfect on this earth, but I'm being perfected for what God has for me in the next life. And it's a journey, yeah. right? And it's, it's an adventure. And I never want to stop learning. I never want to stop growing to be the most effective I can for his kingdom. And I got work to do, believe me. But uh, this journey is awesome. And that's the thing that I think is so encouraging for people to hear. Because of your story, <clears throat> you could have been defeated and said, I'm done. God can never really use me. I'm going to be stuck in this lifestyle or stuck just... Maybe you're clean and sober, but God can't really do something special with me. And I think a lot of people kind of live there so often. It's like, well, I'm not doing all this evil stuff, but I, I got a penance to pay. And that penance is God's not going to do a whole lot in my life because of all that stuff I did. 
And I think a lot of people, they don't embrace the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't embrace the fact that when I come clean and I say, Lord, forgive me, that he actually does. We still think we got to whip ourselves. Mm -hmm. We still think we got to beat ourselves up. God, God couldn't have more for me. And so that, that's a great encouraging story right there. And I think about what you're doing now, and you're doing missions for us, and you're, you're doing a lot. And recently went to Uganda, not only building houses in Mexico and taking people along, because that's the thing. Some people are going to catch that hunger just by taking a short-term mission trip. And they're yeah. like, I want to do more. Yeah. Because the first one you went on probably was a short-term, and it wasn't like, hey, this is going to be forever. But you got a taste of it in the life change. And so tell us about a little bit about the Uganda trip yeah, and, and the number of decisions and, and yeah. some of the stuff that you did there with the team so that, you know, people can know, other people can know about it and get involved even. Well, anytime we go on a trip, uh, it's not just a whim, right? This is something that has to be planned out. I, I you know, uh, it goes through our team here and we, we need to know what we're going to do, right? And again, I'm not going to go there with a bunch of cameras and take pictures with orphans. I want to go there and make a difference. Yeah. And I believe that it's possible to make a huge difference. And so, you know, we've been doing these Mexico house building trips for the last, you know, ever since COVID, um, we've done like six of them and that's great. Um, but now when travel restrictions started lifting, I uh, put together a proposal that gave me the green light. And so we had Uganda on the books. And so we went to Uganda at the end of March, halfway through March. We took 33 people from five different churches and um, to host a medical outreach amongst other things, yeah. right? We, um, so when we got there, you know, we only had three people who were, who were medical people on that team. But we had 100 Dream Team volunteers on the ground from Uganda, doctors, nurses, dentists, just general volunteers that were so excited to be a part of what God was doing through that. See, the, the bottom line is this. We didn't have that many resources for this trip, right? But a little bit of resources is better than no resources. And there's a lot of poverty in Uganda. And so we came in and we equipped that, those hundred people to execute these medical outreaches, and we were along for the ride. We jumped in where we could. We did what we could, and lives were changed, and people were uh, given medication and all this stuff, and it was incredible to be a part of it. And I can talk till I'm blue in my face about how awesome it is, but until you go, until you dedicate like less than two weeks to jump out of your comfort zones and into the mission field to be the hands and feet of Jesus, you'll never know what I'm talking about, right? There are some people who never been on a trip. They were blown away because they find their gifting. Mm -hmm. They find their purpose. And, you know, we visited uh, three diff four different orphanages. Uh, we visited prisons. We built a legit playground at one of our partners' Uh, in Uganda. It's like they don't have like American... Is it an orphanage? It's an orphanage. Yeah. It's like a, a, a daycare for the orphanage. So it's like uh, <clears throat> ages three to six. And so we work with this organization called Kids Around the World that provides these... We bought it, of course, but uh, they shipped it over there to Uganda. It was just incredible. And they don't have American playgrounds. And you might look at the playground that we built and go, well, that's nothing special. But if you would see the playgrounds that they do have, you'd be like, wow, this is incredible there were people kids were like looking over the fence as we were building it they couldn't wait they were trying to run in just to play with it um and it was it was pretty cool so we did all those things and and, and we spent two weeks there yeah 
And um, we had almost 1,500 decisions for Christ. Yeah. And, you know. Documented. Documented. That's, 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 that's the say, difference. Oh, they, they looks like the. Yeah, they, they raised their, their hand. hand. Yeah, no, and, no, and, and, you documented. Know, got names. Yeah. yeah we, we took these prayer, uh, prayer cards with us. Yeah. So basically on one side of it, it said, hey, um, name, age, um, and a checkbox for uh, this is the first time I'm, I'm giving my life, I'm committing my life to Jesus, or I'm rededicating my life. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, we put this air, this section for a prayer request, and so we had our translators. If people couldn't write in English, they would translate and write on this card, and they would put the information on one side. Then they would put these heartfelt prayers on the other. When we brought these, as you know, we brought these prayer, 2,700 prayer cards. We brought them back here to our church and we gave them out as people exited the, the service on a Sunday morning. They were gone in literally one day. And um, I say all that to, to say we, those were documented decisions for Christ mm-hmm. that are being followed up with the partners that we have on the ground. Yeah. So it's not just, um, you know, we're here one day, gone forever the next. These are relationships yeah. that we have been developing with our partners um, to help them do what God has called them to do. I love that because we're we're so much about kingdom. That's why we you know we partner with five churches. We partner with organizations that are on the ground that that really know what's going on. Because um, being in ministry for twenty five years now, I've seen organizations or I've seen churches that. They'll send people over for photo ops. It's basically we're, we're there. They get near an orphanage, you know, take a picture, and there might be a pot-bellied kid with a fly in the eye, and we're going to raise some money back home. But they're not really doing anything. It's just kind of a feel-good story. But everything that we do and with what you're doing with the missions team, there is a tangible result. And yeah. it's not just a finished product. Okay, that's it. We're done. No, it's like this is building towards something we're going to continue to have a partnership and a relationship to make sure we do everything we can to help people all over the world because we're called, we're very passionate about San Diego, we're very passionate about where we're putting campuses, mm-hmm. but we're also called to go to the ends of the earth. Acts 1-8 is very clear. Mm-hmm. This is our Jerusalem right here. But then we go to Judea, we go to Samaria, we go to the ends of the earth to make sure we're reaching people, doing everything God's called us to do. And so that's what gets me excited because you're passionate about that. And 1,500 people make a decision for Christ across the globe. It just is like Skyline needs to understand that that impact, it's worldwide what's going on. Cool story about those cards is that when people take home these cards, right, we encourage everybody to put them in their Bible. And then when you see that card, maybe say a prayer. Well, there have been a few people who just recently have reached out to me and said, hey, um, I, I just found this prayer card that I picked up a few months ago. And God is really moving my heart to to want to answer this kid's prayer request. Can you help find this kid? And so twice that's happened, and we've been able to locate that that child. And now that child has school fees for a year because somebody from Skyline Church felt the Lord moving them to support them. Another one said, hey, I just want to buy that kid clothes, school supplies, get it done. Donated some money, and we're getting it done. That's awesome. Right? And, and, and this is – I'm a firm believer – and the best is yet to come. Yeah. There are places in this world that I believe is waiting for a team from Skyline Church uh, to show up and do what God calls them to do. 100%. Yeah. So uh, in November, we're going down to San Quintin, Mexico. Uh, we're going to start promoting that trip pretty soon. And then um, in March of 2024, we're going to Kenya. 
and that's going to be a medical mission as well. And so uh, if anybody feels led to be a part of what God is doing in and through Skyline Global, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, just be on the lookout for the promos that are going to be coming up. Yeah, it's an exciting time, man. Well, Tim, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your story. Thank you for having me. Man, it's good for our people. It's good for anyone else listening to be encouraged by that. It's a redemption story, and God's using you mightily. And we praise God for you, brother. Amen. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll see you next time on Faith and Culture. We love you guys. See you soon. <laughs>